following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. You may or may not have ever heard of the Wendell family. The Wendell family was a, a family that was, um, they were real estate moguls uh, in New York City in the early 20th century. They were famously known for their extravagant frugality, which I know is an oxymoron, but if you've studied this family, you know that it is a fitting one. When Ellie, the last of um, six sisters and one brother, uh, when she finally died uh, in 1938, she was the last of the family. Of these seven children, none ever married. So when she died, her inheritance was valued in modern day terms at around a billion dollars. But, again, there were no heirs. Ellie died alone in a dress she had worn every day for the last 25 years, having never owned a television, never ridden in a car, never even done proper maintenance in the Wendell home in the center of New York City. She died with only her pet poodle, Toby, by her side. The Wendells were a family of functionally limitless wealth and potential power. Yet their only real legacy is one of misery and sadness. Think about this family with the wealth of over a billion dollars. Think of what they could have done if they had turned their treasures loose in order to serve others. We could mock the Wendells for that kind of lifestyle. Like we've got, we need more and we need more and we can't give any away and we can't turn this loose in any way, shape or form. We could, we could mock them. But are we really that much different? When we think about our lives, are we really that much different? See, we have the limitless power of God's love, of Christ's redemption, and of the Holy Spirit's renewal in our lives. But here's the thing. All of that does very little good if we're focused on keeping it to ourselves. If we are unwilling to turn that loose. So the question I want us to think about as we dive in to today's passage is this. How will we set fire to our faith and set it loose for the purposes of the kingdom of God? As Paul concludes today, the, the body of this letter, he's gonna essentially sum up the whole message he's given to Timothy. And he's gonna drive home his main points one more time. And he's gonna begin here by telling his protege, Timothy, and by telling us, that if, if we want a, a fire that is set loose for the kingdom, then we must refuse to hide the flame. Verses one and two, we refuse to hide the flame. Paul writes, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his, his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. 
Paul says, refuse to hide the flame. He writes to Timothy, he says, hey, some, some, some last words. I, I don't want you to forget this. He says, knowing everything you know about who God is, everything the word has told us about who God is, who Christ is, the Holy Spirit at work in you, I want you to do this one thing. Preach the word. Proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. The rest of, of verse two here is gonna tell exactly how he wants Timothy to do this. So Timothy, preach the word. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? First off, with readiness. Preach the word with readiness. He says, in season and out of season. Now, if you go back to the, the original Greek here, the, the difference between these two words is one letter. And really what the, the literal translation of these words is, in good time, in not good time. And what he's talking about here is times of convenience and times of inconvenience. He says, Timothy, you be ready when it's convenient for you to preach the word and you be ready when it's inconvenient for you to preach the word. He says, there is never a time for you to be caught off guard, Timothy. He says, there's never time for you to be caught off guard, follower of Jesus Christ. You are to be ready at all times to proclaim Jesus Christ and the gospel of his love, his grace, and his mercy. So he says, be ready, preach the word with readiness. And not just with readiness, but in that readiness, preach the word with fullness. He goes on, he says, to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Right? Correct, rebuke, and encourage. He says, guide the faithful, right the errant, and build up those in need. He says, you are to always be ready to proclaim the gospel. And when you do it, do it to the fullness of the gospel. What we've talked about today is you come in here, right? Some of you are riding a high from this past week. It's been a great week. Things are good. You're feeling great. Some of you come in from feeling like you've been beaten up this week. You know what? You know which, which group the gospel applies to? Yeah, both. You know what else the gospel applies to? Everybody else in between. Paul says, Timothy, preach the gospel. Be ready to preach it and preach it with fullness. Be an encourager when you need to be an encouragement. Challenge when you need to challenge. Correct when you need to correct. Write things when you need to write things. He says, because this gospel message is what the world needs. So he says, preach the gospel with readiness, and in that readiness, preach it with fullness. And as you preach the gospel with readiness and fullness, he says, preach it with consistency. He says to preach it with great patience and teaching. And great patience and teaching. To properly instruct in the gospel, and here's the other thing, to properly learn the truth and the fullness of the gospel takes time. Amen? I hope and pray that one day I fully grasp the gospel. I'm not there yet. I hope and pray that one day I get there. It's probably not gonna be this side of eternity. Why? Because it takes time. Learning the truth of God's word is never a task that we finish. 
It is never a task we finish. It requires continual patience and continual teaching and continual learning. And so whether we are teaching or whether we are learning, and we should be doing both, we must have great patience. So Paul says, preach the word, right? Don't hide the flame. Teach the word with readiness, with fullness, and with consistency. Have you ever had a conversation with a four-year-old about their favorite topic? Kid who's just fixated on something, right? Whether it's princesses or dinosaurs or snakes or whatever else this four-year-old is fixated on the moment. They will talk and they will talk and they will talk and they will tell you everything they know and they'll probably make some stuff up, right? And throw it in as if they know that. (laughs) And then once they're finished, they'll go back to the beginning and just start telling you again, right? And you're like, "Uh, okay, kiddo. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. See, the thing is, they are enthralled with that topic and they cannot stop talking about it. Are you and I enthralled? Are we enthralled with Jesus Christ? The truth and the beauty of the gospel? So we must be ready to proclaim the gospel. If we truly grasp even a little bit of it, we must be ready at all times to preach the gospel, to proclaim the truth to any and all who come across our path. It must be something that we just cannot contain within ourselves. So how do we do that? Here's how we remain ever ready to preach the gospel. First, we daily preach the gospel to ourselves. Daily preach the gospel to ourselves. We learn through repetition, right? We learn through repetition. And we need the truth of the gospel repeated into our own hearts on a daily moment-by-moment basis. We must constantly remind ourselves of that if we are to stand firm in the truth. Why? Because we are a people who easily forget. And so if we don't start every day coming back to the gospel, if I don't start every day saying, Jonathan, on your own, you are a lost, broken sinner, unworthy of a perfect and holy God, but because of God's great and awesome love, he, love, he has loved you, he has saved you, he has redeemed you, and he has set you forth on a purpose today. And I walk in that purpose because he has given me not just life in Jesus Christ, but a filling of the Holy Spirit to be empowered for that work today. Right, if I don't proclaim that to myself every day, I either start thinking, man, I am a worthless loser and I can't get anything right. And I keep telling myself that and I keep telling myself that, or I start thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I can do this all on my own. I got this covered. I guarantee if I'm not preaching the gospel to myself daily, I will float to one of those two places. So will you. Welcome to the club. We must preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And as we do that, then number two, we must stay ready. 
in season and out of season, good times and bad times, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. We keep the gospel on our lips. And if we are filling ourselves up with that daily preaching of the gospel, it will be ready to flow out. We preach the gospel daily to ourselves. We stay ready. Number three, we slow down. Slow down. Everybody living life at a nice, slow, easy pace today? All right, everybody there? None of you feel like you just ran through this last week and you have no idea how you got back to here on Sunday. Like, weren't we just here yesterday? And we need to slow down, be patient with others, be patient with God, be patient with ourselves. And God's never gonna work on our timeline. We can try to do more. We can try to fill up our schedule with more stuff. We can try to be better by if I just do a little bit more and try a little bit harder and work a little, you, I can just do this. I'll figure it out, it'll be great. I just need to do more. And we will fail every time. We will be exhausted and frustrated and miserable because God doesn't work on our timelines. God doesn't work the way that we think he should work. He works the way he works. And while that's frustrating to us sometimes, we should be grateful that he doesn't work on our timelines. We have to slow down. We have to be able to listen, to hear God's voice, to be ready to move where he says to move, when he says to move, how he says to move. And if we're running at 400 miles an hour, we're going to miss that every time. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to stay ready. We need to slow down. Fourth, we need to be bold. You, sitting here today, you have the truth of eternity. You have the truth of eternity because you have the truth of God's love, Christ's sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's power. You and I don't have to know every detail, right? None of us do. We don't have to have every detail figured out. But the thing is, you know what every single person on the face of the earth needs to know, to know the joy, the hope, the peace, the satisfaction that comes an eternity in a perfect, holy God. So you don't have to back down. You don't have to be afraid, be ashamed, or be timid. You can be bold in the truth. I'm not saying everybody's gonna like it. I'm not saying everybody's gonna listen to you. But I'm saying you have the truth. Romans 8, Verse 31 through 39, a great passage if you struggle with feeling like, I'm just, I'm not bold, I'm a little afraid, I'm timid. You come to this passage, verse 31 says, if God is for us, who is against us? You skip down to verse 35, it says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? Be bold. In the faith. That doesn't mean you have to be somebody who goes out and starts fights with anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus, right? That's not a good way to be bold. That's just being a jerk, okay? But we should be bold. We don't back away. We don't back down. We know the truth of eternity. But it's that question of, are we so enthralled with Jesus that we can't possibly keep the gospel to ourselves. We must preach it to ourselves. We must be ready with it on our lips. We are, we, we're looking for ways to slow down and, and, and speak that truth, and we're bold when the opportunity comes. We refuse to hide the flame. We must display faith. But faith is always more than merely a display. Because true faith leads us to what Paul says next, where he says, don't just refuse to hide the flame, but share the warmth of the flame. Share the warmth of the flame. Continues, verses three through five, where he writes, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul says, share the warmth. He says to Timothy, listen to me, I know a day is coming. And he says this knowing that the day has already come to Timothy. Right, we've seen this through this letter. He's pointed back to several false teachings and several false teachers in the midst of the church. And he says, Timothy, a time will come when people will reject biblical doctrine, trust their own desires, raise up those who will tell them what they want to hear instead of the truth and turn to lies over the truth. Any of this sound familiar? You see this anywhere? Let's be real hard on ourselves for a second. It's really easy to look at the world and say, yeah, we see that. We talk about the church too. We talk about some places where those who claim Jesus Christ have rejected biblical doctrine seek their own desires over the truth of God's word, raise up for themselves leaders who will say, no, what you feel and what you think is fine, even if it contradicts what this Bible says. And they'll turn to lies over the truth. Okay, so before we get too high and mighty as Christians and those people out there, let's remember, this is, this is not only them out there. This is a danger to every single one of us. Paul says, watch out for this, Timothy. But you, and then he gives Timothy four tasks. He says, you don't fall to this. You don't fall prey to this, Timothy. Do these four things instead. He says, exercise self-control in everything, which literally he means be sober-minded. He says, Timothy, be free from every form of physical and spiritual drunkenness. 
Right? Drunkenness is giving control of your thoughts and of your body to something else. He says, no, 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 don't give yourself over to things that feel good or look good or sound like they might be a good idea. And you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Satisfy yourself in Christ and in Christ alone. So he says, be sober. And he says, endure hardship. And we've talked about this repeatedly through this study of 2 Timothy. Paul comes back to this over and over and over again. And he says, be prepared, right? Hard times will come, right? A life following Christ will not be easy. Be ready to endure hardship. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. Here's where a lot of us go, well, okay, so that one doesn't apply to me, right? No, this applies to you and me, right? An evangelist is not Billy Graham. He is an evangelist, don't get me wrong. An evangelist is anyone who proclaims the gospel, You and I are to proclaim the gospel. You and I are to do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't mean you gotta go find a platform somewhere and stand up in front of 5,000 people and preach the gospel. But parents, as you proclaim the gospel to your children, you're doing the work of an evangelist. Grandparents, as you proclaim the gospel to your grandchildren, you are doing the work of an evangelist. As you proclaim the gospel to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your friends, to your family, To anyone you come in contact with, you are doing the work of an evangelist. Stick with it. Paul says, preach the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. When he tells Timothy, he says, hey, carry out the work to which God has called you. Exercise self-control, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You know what all these have in common? They're other focused. We've seen this before in this letter, right? Paul comes back, he says, be focused on others, not yourself. We live in a culture, in a world that that glorifies selfishness, right? Watch, turn on the TV and watch commercials. Every single commercial is if you do this, you will be happy. If you take this pill, you'll feel great. If you buy this car, everybody will admire you. If you go on this vacation, everybody will want to be you. It's all about you. Or watch sports, right? Go home today and turn on a football game. You'll see some game where a team is down 30 points and a running back gets a first down and is like, I'm the greatest thing ever. And you're like, what are you doing? You're down 30 points. You not see the scoreboard? Yo, but I got the first down. Great, good job, you lost. Or even look at the idea of ethics in our world. You know what ethics is in our world today? Ethics is what can you do and what can you get away with without hurting others? If you can get away with it and get what you want without hurting others, that's ethical. Right? Our culture, our world glorifies selfishness. We are called to serve God and love others. Hey, listen. I know we're not charismatic, but you can say amen. (laughs) Our world, our culture glorifies the self. That is not who we are called to be. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Colossians 1.9 and 10 
We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and all spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Second Thessalonians 2.17, may the Lord encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Titus 3.1, submit to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. We go on and on and on. You know what every good work is? That for which God has created us to do in accordance with his will. What does God create us to do in accordance with his, his will? Love God, love others. It's really not any more difficult than that. I don't know what God's good work is for you right now. I don't know what God's good work is for you today. I don't know what it is for you this week, for this month, for whatever lies ahead in this season of life. But I do know this. You... Every single one of you and me, every single one of us are uniquely equipped to serve God by loving him and loving at least one other person. Maybe you've experienced in your life some imaginable loss and you felt the Holy Spirit's comfort. You, maybe you're called to, to share that experience with somebody who's going through something similar. Maybe you've seen amazing restoration in your life or in your family and you've been overwhelmed by God's joy and you're called to come alongside of somebody else who's hurting and go, listen, I know this is a tough time, but it gets better. Maybe you've known success or failures in your life that have shaped your hope to be in Christ alone and you need to come along somebody else who's running through this world trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I make all of this work? How do I be successful? How do, how do I, and you need to come alongside them and just go, listen, your success or your failure is not gonna fulfill you. I've seen it. Let me show you. Let me talk to you. Let me, let me show you what I've learned. Right? Whatever you've been through, you are uniquely equipped to love God and serve at least one other person to share the warmth of that flame. But the question is, are we looking for ways to share the warmth of our flame? And maybe more than that, are we looking for the ways God is opening the doors for us to share the warmth of the flame of our faith? Because sometimes those opportunities are not going to look the way we thought they were going to look. But are we so enthralled with Jesus Christ that we take whatever that opportunity is to share the warmth of the flame? As Paul concludes his teaching in this letter, he's going to leave one last command for us. Right, he says, refuse to hide the flame, share the warmth of the flame. Finally, in verses six through eight, he's gonna say, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Verses six through eight says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He says, keep the fire burning. Uh, again, we've talked as we studied through this letter that, that Paul has a sense that his life is coming to a close. He has a sense that this imprisonment will end in his execution. And church history, church tradition tells us that that's exactly what happened. 
And as he sits in this prison cell, writing to his protege, thinking about the fact that his life is about to be done, his ministry is now about over, he describes his life of faithfulness and he uses three metaphors. First, he says, I have fought the good fight. He's talked about how you have to endure hardship to follow Christ. He says, this is not gonna be easy. This is a fight. This is a struggle. Many of you know the feeling of that struggle, that fight in your life of faith. But Paul says this fight is good. How's that? Well, Paul knows that the fight is good because it's fought with purpose. Now he fights with purpose. He knows the truth of who God is. He knows his calling. And so the fight is good. But not only is it a fight, he says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. He says, I have endured. And we go back through Paul's life and see that he's endured shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and being left for dead many times. Like we go through his life and you see all this stuff he's endured. And he's like, listen, I, I continue to be faithful in the ministry God has called me to. So I have finished this race. I didn't give up. Right? The, the, the state cross-country meet was, was yesterday. Right? And if you go to the state cross-country meet and you run two and a half miles and then you stop, it's a three-mile race. You know what they call that? Lost. <laughs> they call it a DNF. It did not finish. Now, if you run 2.7 miles, you know what they call that? A DNF did not finish. If you run a mile, you know what they call that? A DNF did not finish. You have to run all the way through the line to finish the race. Paul says, I ran all the way through the line. He fought the good fight, he finished the race, and he kept the faith. In the fight and in the race, Paul has, has persevered in faithfulness to the Lord. And as a result, he receives the crown of righteousness, a gift that he doesn't earn, but a gift that is given to him by God through Jesus as Paul completes his fight, his race, and his faith. We could sum up Paul's commands in these verses with one simple phrase. Keep going and never stop until Christ calls you home. That's these three verses. Keep going, never stop until Christ calls you home. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we get the end of, of Moses' life, right? And Moses' life is, is phenomenal when you go from being born to a slave woman, raised up in the house of the Pharaoh, having everything he could want, and then being sent into exile because he fought for the people he was born into. And after this exile, God calls him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And he, after God does all these amazing things, in Egypt, brings the Israelites out. And for 40 years, they wander in the desert, moaning and complaining about every single thing Moses does. And then in Deuteronomy 34, we get the end of Moses' life. In verse one, it says, then Moses went up the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, where, which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land and all the land is the promised land and Moses had been fighting to get the people, had been fighting to get the people too for 40 years. 
And in verse five, it says, so Moses, Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. Here's what I want you to see about Moses' life. There are ups and downs, yes, but Moses never retired. He worked, he fought, he served the kingdom, and then he died. And this isn't about retiring from work. This is about retiring from the kingdom. And Pastor Ron talks about this all the time, right? There's no retirement in the Christian faith. But Moses is our example of that. He led, he led, and he led until it was time for him to die. And so too for you and me, we're never released from kingdom work. We are never released from kingdom work. And here's the thing, why would we want to be? If we go back and understand the gospel, understand the depth of God's love, the life, the death, the resurrection, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if we fully grasp that, why would we ever want to give that up? What could be better? What could be more important? What could be more crucial to the world around us, to our legacy with our families, to our work, to anything else than that truth? And listen, maybe... Your particular season of a ministry is coming to to a close today. Or maybe you've just come out of some ministry that God had given to you. The question is not, okay, now am I done? Do I get to retire and just focus on me now? No, the question is, what door is God opening for the next stage of your life? What opportunities has he given you? What gifts and resources has he equipped you with in order to serve his kingdom? And again, when we're talking ministry, we're not saying, hey, you have to be involved in Ignite Club or in KFC, or you have to be involved in in whatever these ministries are, right? Maybe your ministry is writing a note to a neighbor every single week. Maybe your ministry is just checking in on a, a student or a young family once a week and saying, hey, was thinking about you. How you doing? Right? It's just caring. It's just loving. I don't know what your ministry is, but that's not the point. The point is, you and I all have a ministry. And our job is to keep the fire burning. If you want to be certain you do not grow in your faith, if you don't want to develop a stronger, hotter, brighter flame, if that's your goal, sit around, do nothing, and it will happen quickly. If you want to grow, if you want to mature, if you want a hotter, brighter, more intense flame, know that sometimes it'll be a fight. Know that sometimes it'll be a race. But keep the faith. Keep loving your God. Keep serving those around you. Because Christ is returning. Until that day, keep your fire burning. Listen, are we constantly aware of our calling and our purpose in God's kingdom? Our faith is a fire that was never intended to be built, tended, stoked, and maintained only to be kept to ourselves. Jesus reminds us that we are the light of the world and that our flame cannot be hidden. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. 
But remember this, when Jesus is talking about the light that can't be hidden, he doesn't have in mind a flashlight or a front porch light or your high beam headlights. When Jesus is speaking, he's talking about a flame. He's talking about a fire. And our flame is meant to be seen, meant to be heard, and meant to be felt. We are to shine the light of Christ, to speak the word of God, to impart the comfort of the Holy Spirit into every space into which we take our fire in this dark, noisy, and chaotic world. To do so, we must commit ourselves in the refusal to hide our our flame. We must share the warmth that comes only by a faith fed by a loving Savior. And we must constantly be ready to do the hard work of keeping this fire alive, burning brightly for all to see and hotly for all to feel. Church family, may our fires be evident for all to see. May they be evident not as a display of our moral refinement or our self-inflated righteousness, but in humility. May our flames be evident for all to see as a reflection, a reflection of and a road sign directing others toward the love, the grace, and the mercy found in the life, death, resurrection, and eternal reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a God who has loved us in ways that defy all logic and and reason from a human perspective. We thank you that while we have rejected you and we have tried to serve ourselves, you have continually offered us redemption in your great and your awesome name. And we thank you that you have given us salvation through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And that you have given us all the guidance we need in in your Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. That we might know you and love you and serve you in ever increasing ways. And Lord, we repent of the ways we have taken that beautiful fire of faith you've given us and we've walked away from it. We've, we've stepped towards the, the darkness and away from the warmth. We repent, we turn away from those things which drew our attention away from you and we come back to that fire. And Lord, we pray that as we stoke that fire, as we build it hotter and brighter, as we know you more intimately, love you more deeply and serve you more courageously, Lord, that it would not be about us, but it would be about others being drawn to that flame so that they might know you and love you and serve you and know the peace, joy, and hope of a life lived with you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.erieefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.